Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Alarm, alarm. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. And James and I are still at, or back at, depending on how you listen to these um at the at the, at the national a week archive on. a week on here we've hung around for a week to record another one yes that's that's slightly unlikely although you're here how often are you here at the oh not that often actually to be perfectly honest not that often i do i do little splurges so i, I, I come up and i do kind of you know a couple of days or something and absolutely power it and how does it take off everything take it all home how does it compare to say the, the german archive oh my god this 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 is now the most user-friendly, easy-to-navigate archive there is. Well, you couldn't be any happier but to hear that, surely. Absolutely, and I promise you, I, I didn't put you up to, to any of that. So, uh, no, thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad. It's always lovely to hear that, that we provide such a good service. You know, we, we also do have over 350 research guides for those who are interested and are perhaps intimidated by archival research as well. So do, do check those out. They, they will Yeah, help. I mean, I've, you know, done all of mine online. Because there is, there are one of the things is there is an awful lot of stuff online now. And you can pretty much follow your nose online now. And you have to join some things and pay some subscriptions and stuff. But can find your way. I tend to do it via journals to the what they're what they're quoting, you know, or what, what they're referencing from. But I mean it it is potentially an intimidating thing, isn't it? Because you, you eleven million documents, the sheer sort of it's a cliff face of information, isn't it? And how you pick the how you pick the one that's the document that tells the story that you know, it's the great, I mean, the thing historians are taught, isn't it, at universities, how to sift and weigh and balance, balance documents against each other and, you know, not, not, not pick the wrong one. <laughs> the only thing I'd say here to what, what, you could, what you could do with is a stack of A3 pieces of card. Because the most annoying thing is seeing the shadow of your iPhone 
on the document <laughs> or your hand or whatever. Because I always like it, when I photograph it, I like it to look like a photocopy, mm-hmm. you know, sort of digitized version. So it's, your shot is completely above it. It's not at a weird angle. It's flat. It's all that kind of stuff. You want it to look as... It'll be an app that turns terrible photographs of documents into yeah, I know, but it's a fat photographs. Thing. You haven't got time to do all yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You haven't got time to do all that. But if you've got a piece of card, you can hold it over above to shield from the light and you get no shadow. There's a pro tip for the listener. Now, um, <laughs> l- last time we spoke about um, prisoners of war, prisoners of war and their different experiences in, in, in Southeast Asia and then, and then in Europe, including Bums of Broadway, or whatever it was called, at Starlight Love <laughs> 3. And a produ- I, I'm just imagining a production of Merchant of Venice in Nazi Germany. What the, what the, you know, how do you play Shylock in, you know, I mean, it's just, that just throws well, up. a thought, isn't just it? Just throws up so many questions. Um, no. you, anyway, but today, um, and it's a different day to the last recording we did, honest, um, we're looking at the story of civilian internees here in the UK, because one of the things with the new exhibition is it's not just about the prisoner of war experience and the British prisoner of war experience. It's, it's about more than that. Absolutely, it is. So, you know, one of one of the things we really wanted to do with the exhibition was was tell that civilian story as well, and that that story of, for want of a better word, incarceration um, during the Second World War, and and again, alongside or or indeed, kind of to complement a lot of the, I suppose, the inspiration for for the exhibition in some ways was some of the work that we've been doing around our records to do with prisoners of war as well as those to do with civilian internees. We have incredible teams of volunteers who have helped to catalog, we talk about the catalog, have helped to catalog and essentially open up records that we previously weren't able to to open up to the public. And again, you know, that's ultimately what was the inspiration for for the exhibition and the internee side, the civilian internee side um, was was one part of that And, and perhaps one of the you know, not one for kind of lesser known or untold stories in, in kind of that cliched way, uh, but but certainly in comparison to the prisoner of war story and the prisoner right. of war escape story, the internee side. Well, is and also, known. I mean, there's an opportunity to, to simply contrast as well, isn't there? That the, the, the British government held a fair few prisoners itself, uh, and as well as actual soldiers and airmen, and you know, and there is a German great escape after all. Um, Absolutely, here, here in the British Isles, there's also the big roundup of civilian in, um, civilians, are yeah. enemy aliens, as they were called. You know, which which starts sort of from April 1940, really, as a big explosion, and it really accelerates into May, June, and July 1940, where there's a kind of invasion scare. You know, and and it's a, it, it's a sort of bang up the lot of them. You know, that's the famous sort of uh, misquote by by Churchill. But it's, it's, it's pretty ruthless, you know, at the point where Britain thinks, you know, it's that, it's that rabbit in headlights moment in the second half of May where it looks like France is going to collapse and suddenly it's all going horribly wrong and on the continent and people are expecting kind of, you know, German parachutists and nun uniforms dropping from the sky and all the rest of it. There is real genuine panic. And this is the height of the fifth columnist idea. And this idea of the fifth column is that there is this, you know, subversive, ordinary people. They look like you and I, but they're all amongst us and they're kind of working for the enemy. It's all this kind of stuff. Um, And so how can you tell whether, um, you know, a German Jewish refugee or a German au pair or a German steward in a or or waiter in a restaurant in london is a fifth columnist and working for the nazi regime or whether they're just 
ordinary people minding their P's and Q's and actually escaping Nazi tyranny. Italian head waiter at the Ritz or, right, or, or of whatever. Course. Yeah. yeah. So how do, you, how do you know all that? And so the way to get around that, you haven't got time to process everybody because it's height of war and lots of kicking off on the continent. So you just round everybody up and, and chuck them in camps. But the camps then have to be created. And it's extraordinary, the experiences, because because until the... I mean, a lot of them are sent to the Isle of Man, of course, famously. But until then, you've got to find, you know, holding dumps for them. I mean, a lot of women were put in Holloway Prison, for example, um, as, as just internees. And then there was, there was a terrible mill, wasn't there, in up in near Manchester, Salford or something like what, that. What, and what, so what does the archive tell us about this? So it tells us a lot about the process, you know, the decision-making around uh, those things, you know, both in mid to late 1939 the kind of what i'll be going to do in the event of war and then when war breaks out the so-called enemy aliens are assessed locally you know there are tribunals essentially to assess individuals each which are in- very mixed in their results absolutely so an individual is then issued with a card which gives information about whether they're exempt from internment and the reasons you know these kind of the back of the card will often have notes and provide details about why an individual might be exempt but then as as you say you know that all gets thrown up in the air in may june 1940 and you know these cards become uh, irrelevant from from that point of view uh, until then the authorities eventually in kind of the middle of 1941 are looking at releasing more and more internees because it's, it's felt by that point that that threat is is diminishing and as i say you know certainly the records in the archives will cover a lot of that decision making but also uh, in a similar way to those red cross reports that we were talking about last time look and assess these camps what are the conditions like what can individuals do in by way of recreation what are they allowed to do what what aren't they allowed to do? You know, what are the regulations ultimately? And and again, it, it's it's done in a very similar way to to those kinds of assessments that are made about conditions and and eventually, you know, and, and again, it's something that comes out in our in our records here at, at the National Archives is the the pressure that is put on the government to start releasing internees for for a number of different reasons there's a there's a fairly famous example in in that the arandor star which was a a ship carrying civilian internees mainly italian civilian internees as well as others allied soldiers as well was was sunk killing a large number of civilians and that really acts as a bit of a catalyst to that pressure and those calls for releasing internees and at the very least, stopping internees from being, for want of a better word, deported to places like Canada and, and particularly Australia. And um, yeah, there are, again, a few examples of those kinds of voyages, which are quite infamous in their, the bad conditions that internees are, are put in, as well as being sent away thousands yeah. of miles. Yeah. And I suppose that it being the British government of the time, they're also trying not to spend any money on it, because there's a war to fight, which is why you end up with on the Isle of Man, you know, basically you, you barb wire off a peninsula and you put people in there, you know. It's so, so bizarre, bizarre it? yeah. the poor Erin. Yeah. Now, what's it called? called um, Russian camp. Yeah. Russian? Russian? R-U-S-H-E-N. Yeah. And it's in that kind of southern peninsula of, of the southern part of, of the Isle of Man. And they basically just put barbed wire along the long one <laughs> from side to side. There's two villages and everyone in it is part of the camp and... and the civilians who are already there are just encouraged to kind of 
taking the prisoners. They're given a guinea a week, I think. Yes. Quite yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, because so, uh, it's essentially a seaside resort. Uh, so there's lots of bed and breakfasts and, and hotels, and that's yeah. partly why it was chosen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and as you say, yeah, those who lived in, in the area lived in the same houses. They live amongst the internees. They have more freedom than, than those I internees. I mean, the, the point worth making in this is that within the community is the wrong word but within the within the body of the internees there are people who are who are nazis so it, it's not like it's not like it's a sort of an incarceration of, of the innocents in totality that there are people who this is the right thing to it's the right thing probably given the set of circumstances it's a lot of the way as well as lots of jewish people and we were talking about this the other day about russian where there's a the idea that you would be lodging you know, you might be a German Jew and you're lodging with the Nazis. It's the, just the most extraordinary. Uh, and how do you rub along? How do you live cheap by jowl like that? When, when, uh, when you're given comparative freedoms and you're able to just go for a walk, go for a bathe. But the, know, I suppose the, the big difference is, is the Nazi has no power in that in that situation. So they, they can they can have all the pack all the ideology they want, but they have no power, so they can't act on it. So it, no, but what they can do is they say, if you're nice to me, you know, when the Germans come, I'll put in a good word for oh, you. Oh, I suppose. Yeah, but... but there's quite but, a lot of that going on. I mean, there's, there's written evidence of people saying saying that. I mean, it's just absurd, but... Well, and, and a lot of the reports for particularly Russian camp, for example, I mean, they, they always they talk about troublemakers and moving troublemakers around to, to kind of settle some of those again. And, and they use kind of language like to settle those disputes is kind of is the, the kind of language that's used. But they have their own little sort of finance system in Russian camp where, where they give out tokens because some people have quite a lot of money and some people don't. And so then it's sort of unfair on the people that haven't because you can just go around and go to the shops. Yeah. So the whole economy in Russian camp is based on tokens. As yes, as for, for a period of time, yes, ab- absolutely it is. Bonkers. Well, it's rather brilliant, actually. Yeah, and and because the, there's also a disparity as well. So just thinking about, you know, promises. So what the Nazi, the German authorities are doing is sending care packages to German internees, but you, an individual had to swear allegiance to the Reich in order to receive those packages. So you, you also then get a disparity within the camp of individuals who are willing to do that, uh, obviously then against those who are, who are not willing to do that. And some, some of whom are cross fingers. Yeah, well, and that's it. Some, some of them are, for one, again, want of a better phrase, apolitical. They're not Nazis necessarily, no. but they are willing to, to do that in order to um, but but the other point, of course, is life. that he might be a Nazi, but so what? I mean, it's not going to do you any good, is it? Or, or I mean, you're an impotent Nazi, yeah. and so to a certain extent, that's fine. It's I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's fascinating, though, isn't it? Because after all, you know, with the Geneva Convention, that what does that say about civilian internees? Because after all, whenever people talk about the Geneva Convention, they, they immediately think it's about it's about prisoners of war. It's about but these people are, are prisoners of war. They're just they're just not they've not been in, they're not in uniform they're not they're not ex-combatants or or whatever and so that starts to talk starts to talk to the relationship between the state and a civilian and a foreign civilian and because after all you know states states have their obligations to their own civilians and their own citizens as it were but where what in the end is the where does where's the line drawn and that's what that's what this is asking questions around isn't it and and creating argument around right mm-hmm. yeah so because you know the 1929 conventions say very little about civilians and that's partly what what the 1949 convention does is to kind of rectify that to some to some degree but i think what happens early on and and again you see the back and forth between british the british and german authorities in wartime you know sometimes through a neutral power so not necessarily directly where kind maybe of maybe switzerland 
yes, Sweden, or Sweden, or, Swedes, or yeah, Sweden as yeah. well, where they're they're kind of agreeing that civilians would be treated in a, or be protected in similar ways to prisoners of war. Um, so they're they're kind of doing or making that decision that you know either initially informally and then they actually start to have those kinds of conversations which, which stipulate yes this is what we're going to do when it comes to civilians in the UK or civilians in Germany is we will treat them in a, in line with prisoners of war which is why you do then get red cross inspections of civilian camps both in Europe and and also in the UK yeah we'll take a break and we'll look at some documents Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katie Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me, so I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy, and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk here at the National Archive, TNA. I'm, I'm down with the lingo now. Um, <laughs> I, it was the PRO to me for a very long time. Um, but you've moved on at last. I'm, I'm finally, finally getting with the programme, Daddy-o. Um, and uh, we're looking at some documents now about what we were, we were just talking about. And Jim is just is thumbing right this second the Aliens Restriction Act of 1922. Um, so they, they were thinking about this couple of decades beforehand well that's quite interesting in itself that yeah. there's a piece of law yeah but look, look, look where this comes at. so this is the aliens restriction order of 1940 based on the aliens restriction act of 1922 the government office isle of man yeah. 12th of june 1940 aliens shall not have in their possession or under their control or use any motor vehicle or bicycle any camera or other photographic apparatus any telescope field glasses or other optical instrument any nautical chart or any seagoing craft or aircraft well that's pretty obvious isn't it the yeah. The Isle of Man, is this Isle of Man law or British government law? Because the Isle of Man is a sort of half in, half out, isn't it? Yeah, so so it's it's British government law and, and, and essentially the British government approaches and asks the Isle of Man to take, to, yeah, to, to do this in, in a that way. So. His Excellency Vice Admiral, the Right Honourable, the Earl Granville CBDSO, Lieutenant General, Lieutenant Governor of the said Isle, etc, etc, etc. Uh, what's interesting is, and obviously this is sort of the point, there's an understand. it doesn't say who the aliens are, there's an understanding of who they are. We all know who that means. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, what, what a lot of these orders and this, this particular document is a number of different, kind of covering a number of different areas. So that first one you read out there, James, was obviously focused on th- perhaps items transport. that might be transport and items that might be deemed as spying used kit. for spying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's also other things. So around the use of uh, telegrams, about sending and, re- sending and receiving letters, that's incredibly limited. And then there are later ones around banking. So individuals had to deposit valuables and money into the camp bank, uh, if, if you like, yeah. um, and could only withdraw a certain amount every week. Um, you could write letters, though, if they were censored, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, yes, but you were limited to a, a certain number a week. So, yeah, so you could, they were censored, you could write, send, both send and receive letters. But, yeah, they, they were limited, and I think the size was also limited. It was up to four sides. Right. You've just page, pointed out, Al, what the, they've got the classification. Point six. An enemy alien shall mean a national of any state with which his majesty is at war and shall include a stateless alien. So that's Germany, (laughs) Russian internment camp, rules, amended 9th of September 1940. Household control. The householder is under the commandant, the the responsible authority for the internal control of each household, and may appoint a representative for the internees if he or she so desire it by other internees to assist in the arrangement of duties. Lights out. Internees must be in their own rooms with lights out at 10pm and silence thereafter. I mean, it's like boarding school. Nice little details I can weave back in at at, at the uh, proof You can't smoke in your bedroom, Jim. No. No meetings in bedrooms. I know, I'm just sort of thinking, I mean, this is night for September, this is after my period that I've been writing about, but, you know, when it comes to the copy edit, I can still... It's good stuff. Weave a little bit, can't you? You're not allowed food in your bedroom. You're not, allowed to lock, you're not allowed to lock your bedroom. No flame lamps, stoves. Not allowed to throw anything out windows. No, you're not allowed to hang pictures. I mean, this is, this is like a rental agreement from, from the mid-90s. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, and it'll cost you £18 a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> to visit bars, 
and to attend dances in public halls or cafes or to purchase any alcoholic drink. I mean, that's Joanna M. Cruikshank. Yes, 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 she was the commandant, yeah, of Russian. And, and certainly, so we've got a couple of the reports from, from the camp which are put together both uh, after the war but also um, as part of visits, visits to the camp. And one, one of the things that is commented on is the curfew, and particularly during the winter, um, how individuals had to be back inside the the premises in which they were living by I think 5:30 in the evening but and, you know again because it gets dark early it's seen as a security risk to have individuals out later I think in the summer it's 9 p.m is the latest that individuals can be mm. could so we're be looking outside. at the re- re- report on the visit to the women's camp internment camp on the Ottoman housing and general conditions practically the whole of the two small watering places of Port Erin and Port St Mary from form one large camp under one commandant which is accommodated between 4,000 and 5,000 internees. I mean, that's quite a lot, really. There are gates with, a, with barbed wire at either end of the camp and wire runs behind the houses at a certain distance from the coast. But within this area, the internees are free to walk them out as they please. Absolutely So amazing. it says the permanent residents are, for the most part, proprietors of hotels and boarder housing, boarding houses who formerly relied on their living for, on summer visitors. Now all the available accommodation is used for the internees. The Home Office paying the householders a flat rate of one pound one shilling and no pence per week oh, a guinea, of for each adult and 10 and 6 for each child the management and catering remain in the hands of the householders blah 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 undoubtedly there's friction between the internees and the householders and complaints as to food heating light this is ve- i mean this is this how they're all chiming along it seems to me that many difficulties and anomalies would have been avoided if from the start the home office had taken over the, all the houses and installed the proprietors as managers at a fixed salary Gosh, because they're they basically it because it's devolved and private. They've got yes. and they haven't got control over it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. What that is what's going on there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's very that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then over here, what we have is a similar kind of report. Let's um, go the clock clockwise. So this report <laughs> um, was written towards the end of the war, and we've got a lot of this kind of document for lots of different. Um, subject areas so th- this is kind of a lessons learnt document around internment and particularly around internment in russian camp there's lots of photographs that come with it but it's essentially uh it, it, its purpose is in case we have to do the authorities again. have to do it again right. um and you know you get a lot of these documents from you know a prisoner of war point of view there are a lot of these kind of lessons learned documents produced to, at the end of the first world war which inform exactly how policy is carried out um, during the Second World War, but this is a, a similar kind of report. And there's lots of photographs in here that looks at some of the, particularly the recreational activities, the education that's going on, because it's both a woman and a children's camp as well. Uh, children could camp, accompany their mothers. It doesn't look too bad, does it? Picture of the kindergarten. Again, though, these are propaganda images. Yes, just well, I know. Yeah, I, know. I, know. I get yeah, that, yeah, but yeah, even yeah. so, they just they just haven't got a production of bums on broadway otherwise I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well maybe they did there were operas that were staged in the camp which are, are, are detailed i mean the thing that the, the thing is yes it doesn't look that bad jim but these people are not at their liberty so no i know so, i appreciate that i know i know but this is but this is the thing i think this is the thing that's that, that's very often beguiling about these sort of images is is you can in your head say to yourself oh well it's not it's not that bad is it but the, but you know they're not allowed out yeah. and i mean in a way it looks like the village in the prisoner a bit you know, they're all. What, have, what could they possibly have to complain about? They've I'll tell you what, though, there's, a, there's a TV drama to be done on Russian camp, isn't there? There is, yeah. Or a sitcom. Oh, you know, now you're a, talking. Quite funny, I think. There's the comic. Well, you, what, you have a comic show. Nazi. Well, no, it's just that because I, there's, that, there's that amazing story in Berlin about those two lesbians who 
hide in a they, they they hide in Berlin in plain sight. They go to the landlady and say, "We're on a secret mission from the Führer." <laughs> There's two avowed Nazis. The landladies and avowed Nazis say, "We're on a secret mission for the Führer. You must absolutely not tell anyone that we're staying here." <laughs> so, and that's a sitcom, surely, in a, yeah, yeah, one yeah. way or another. Well, but this the, is a sitcom, isn't it? But I think it? it's really it, it is interesting though because this is dealing with what appears to be a problem. But they phase it out, as you say. It, it comes to the point where this isn't practical anymore, and 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 really, it isn't, is it? I mean, you look at it. These are, if, especially if these are people who are opposed to the German government, then these they're a resource, aren't they? If you if you need to translate things, or or even I mean, you think of all the men that go into the Pioneer Corps and then are allowed into proper regiments eventually, all that all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, and um, in fact, we then have an example of exactly that kind of process. We have an indiv- so this is an individual file of of someone who naturalized after the war but was initially interned um and and freed in uh, september 1941 and she was in in russian camp port erin and there was she, she was essentially a parliamentary agent for the labor party before the war so she was able to exert some pressure politically for the release of of civilian internees uh, including herself yeah. uh, within that uh, and eventually was deemed not a threat sort of safe. Um, from from that point of view and again there is a, a version of her tribunal card in in this paperwork in this file that we have here which talks about her being a an anti-nazi and and not being a threat uh, it doesn't say what that. she gets classified as and, and okay c class c so initially she's class c and then she's released as class c so, so yeah september i mean it's ridiculous is. putting class c people in yes absolutely but yeah as you say it's a gradual process but she's released in september 41 i mean is there any because prisoners of war there are some repatriations people are ill and stuff can be repatriated and uh, uh, is there a pr- is, is there a process in place for civilians to be repatriated is there is there a sort of swapping thing going on yes yes absolutely and and it is swapping in that way it's kind of like for like. I mean, this is really interesting. So, so Theresia Tekla Maria Kuck, findings of committee and remarks. This woman is a German born and nationality, having been born on the 24th of June 1903 at Oldenburg. She's Aryan and a single woman. She so tells not us, a Jew is what she that tells, means, yes. She tells us that she left Germany first to go into the domestic service in Holland in 1922. She returned to Germany in 1924 and went to a convent where she learned hospital nursing for a period of 18 months. From thence, she spent a certain time in a maternity home learning maternity work and returned to Holland to be employed in the same family as employed before in 1926. She remained there, blah, 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 till 1931 when she went to England. She is a woman of intelligence who has satisfied us that she is anti-Nazi and wholeheartedly in favour of the British war effort. She met in 1935 a Mr. Shaler, a married man with whom she fell in love, and they began to live with each other in 1936. We do not think there's any foundation for the suspicions which were expressed as to the activities of this woman in the police report of the 27th of July 1940. And we think that if she were released from internment, that she would present no danger to the security of this country. Accordingly, we recommend that she be placed in Class C. MI5's observations attached, no camp report. So it, so MI5 have had a good look at her as well. I mean, mm-hmm. what well, a waste of time. <laughs> it's a time and effort, but you know... Her story is a positive one. She naturalised as a British citizen after the war, and and so she ever after. Uh, to Mr. some Shaler. extent, with Mr. Shelley, they never married, but she took his surname. Um, we know that from from her files. If she'd married him, would she have been in a different situation uh, before the war? Potentially, because normally at that period, women took uh, the nationality of their husbands. Because so my grandmother, 
came from Vienna with my grandfather in 37 to 36 and must have been because they don't she did none of this happened to her so yeah potentially why she was from Salzburg yeah Vienna. I mean my, yeah. In, in my book that she she gets classified B because she's still got relations in Germany who are in the in, in who are in the party but because she hasn't taken nationality listen to this I mean these documents this is just brilliant so this is particulars of internee so it's all her present present nationality of birth German present nationality USA so that I think is of her father oh right okay yes oh yes that's her father yes so but look at this when did you leave your country April 1932 why did you leave depreciation of the mark Mm. anyone who's done GCSE history yes we'll know we'll know exactly of course that's why she left then wow isn't it amazing all this it is, and, and like I say, so her file, this file, which which obviously we have here in the National Archives collection, is one of a large number of these kinds of uh, files that we have, as well as the the tribunal cards, as I've said, and and then you know you mentioned the Pioneer Corps, for example, and individuals who went on to serve uh, in the armed forces. A number of them in SOE. We have SOE service records yes, as well. Yes, of course. Large numbers of individuals who were initially interned uh, in in 1940, who then went on to. Uh, have quite illustrious careers in, yeah. in the oh, It's just fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. That folder alone. Yeah. And there's one of those for everybody. It's the Not every single person. But, but everyone but everyone who <laughs> yeah. came out the came out the other end of the there process. Are many oh, I need to quickly yes. get my camera out and stop <laughs> snapping a few things here. And th- and this is very new, it was only opened a couple of months ago. A friend of mine's writing a play really? a friend of mine's writing a play about Russian camp. Is he? Yeah. We need to get his get himself up here doesn't yeah. he very good I'll, I'll tell her yeah but yes it's a you've made an assumption there jim but doesn't matter yeah she's she, because because <laughs> her mum her mum was interned apologies that's right, that's right her mum was interned you know they came came in 38 they, they fled after crystal nacht and managed to get into the uk or her mother did and then they were interned so she's writing a play about it it's amazing this is this is just brilliant so yeah, it's been fascinating isn't it? uh, um and one of the reasons we're here because we have been meaning to come here forever and we've got here, but also this is all related to the new exhibition, Great Escapes. Second of Feb. Second of February. Twenty twenty four. Save up during January. It's free, so you don't need to save up. <laughs> save up the Uber. And while you, when, you, when you're here, get your reader's ticket. And get your reader's ticket. And, reader's and, and go truffle hunting, basically. Yeah, we exactly. will have some dedicated research terminals for people who do want to then carry out some research once they've been to the exhibition, or before they've been to the exhibition, or indeed at any time. At any time. Because that's <laughs> it's, it, uh, honestly, that's I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this because I'm, I'm here and, and you're standing in front of me, but it is, a, <laughs> it is an absolutely fantastic archive. It's, it's a total treasure trove. Um, all the staff here are incredibly helpful and um, it's very it is very easy to use and and it's a great place lovely cafe as well mm. and you know facilities and stuff well the cafe was very busy it seemed like a, it yeah, seemed yeah. Like a place to come uh, if you're local there's quite a sort of quite a tricky combination thing on the on the lockers where you put your bag yeah right but, okay. but I set mine to oh, 1939 right. so I'll never forget it <laughs> um, and, and it's fine <laughs> uh, brilliant so basically next time you hear everybody try every locker and one will open with the 1939, <laughs> and that's James Holland's stuff. Uh, still here because I can't get it out. Can't get it out. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, yep. Thanks very much, Will, for, for um, taking us through this stuff and talking about this area of the Second World War. Um, we'll see you all again very soon. Bye-bye. Cheerio.